Tech, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Texing. Its five-year mission to explore strange new guests, to seek out strange new hacks and geekery, and boldly go where no tech podcast has gone before. Just kidding. Welcome to episode 86 of the Fantastic Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Don't you mean 86B? Oh my lord. I I tell you, it's taken all my strength to sound enthusiastic with that intro right there. (laughs) Well, all right, why don't you give the, uh, tell the story. The story is that yesterday we recorded, once again, that this is the second time we've lost a show, and it was a damn good show and what happened was the first time it was completely my fault the first time that like those few months ago those many months ago i forgot to press record but yesterday it was literally it was nothing to do with me the audio hijack pro software for whatever reason just didn't pick up the signal from skype so we had a whole hour and a half (laughs) we did a whole hour and a half show which was great some of the best content we've done and basically, it just recorded my side of the conversation, not Jason's side of the conversation. I wonder if it's God getting back at Jason. Right. So let's give uh, let's give Justin some airtime. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to cut yeah. Jason off. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's 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 just so funny that it happened. You know, on a show that we. both were really excited about. I mean, there are plenty of shows that we recorded where we're, we're thinking, eh, I think it was pretty good. But yeah. right after that show, I, I was like, that was a great show, really. Uh, really was one of my favorites. And, uh, oh, it was so depressing when you called me like 10 minutes later and you're like, I got bad news. I'm like, don't tell me. You did press record. Uh, I was depressed about it. But your level of depression was sort of like, like it was kind of palpable. Like you couldn't even talk about it. It was like, it was like as if we'd lost a, a little baby it or was. something. I couldn't. I was really upset about it. And the, and the thing was, there was no one to be upset at. <laughs> right. Like, it wasn't like, damn it, Justin, I can't believe you didn't press record. I, you know, it wasn't like you screwed something up and it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't anyone to blame. It was just the software didn't work. There was no, nothing for us. No, there was nothing that gave us the reason to think that it wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess you could say, well, we weren't being double, uh, safe by having recording on both ends because we'd never experienced anything like that, so we didn't know to even be concerned about it really. Well, it's like eighty-six. It's like one in one in eighty-six, basically one in eighty-six episodes that happened with. So, but there was still one too many. I mean, yeah, it was like <laughs> you know, if you if you told me that it's going to happen again this year, I would say no, it's not. We are that cannot happen again. It is just it's it was a huge loss because for me, it's like. It's one thing to lose like a week of coding. That would suck, right? If you worked for a week, right. you'd be really upset about it. Cause by the end, you could recreate it, right? You just you know what you coded. You'd be bitching and moaning, muttering under your breath about it. But you could you could probably code up that week's worth of coding in like a day and a half or two days. Um, and if you wrote a blog post and it got deleted, that would suck too. But you could rewrite it to be almost essentially what it was before. But there is no way 
that you can recreate the podcast to be what it was because it was it's an improvisational thing that happens between us and it just sometimes it works really well sometimes it works okay and there's no way to recreate it <laughs> you can't recapture the vibe no you can't you can't and you can't tell the same stories over you can't i mean we'll we'll talk we'll discuss some of the same topics because i think we need to cover them but it's just gonna it's gonna be a different conversation because there's no way for yeah. for you and i to pretend that we don't know what we know like, you know, I'll tell you something. And I can tell the same jokes, but you're going to know the punchline in advance. And you're going to pretend to laugh. You have jokes? I, hey, I maybe, wasn't aware that you know there what? were any jokes last time, but okay. Maybe maybe you could actually laugh a bit more at me this, you know, now that you know the kind of things that I'm going to say. <laughs> See, I'm not a very good actor, so I can't fake things. I can't fake oh, enthusiasm. I, I, I would make the worst liar in the world. I'm not... <laughs> I can't lie. Yeah. I can't. I just don't have that in me. I can't. And so that's why whenever you're like... There's been a few times where, you know, when we first started out the show and it was like, okay, could you, re- could you say that again because we screwed up or the recording screwed up? Can you just say this one sentence? And I just couldn't do it, right? <laughs> yeah. like, just say this. I'm like, uh, I, can't. I can't say it if it's not going to come naturally from me. I just, it just was so f- difficult for me. I mean, obviously, that's what actors and professional radio hosts, I mean, they were, you know, and people on TV, they read teleprompters and, you know, they, they do that naturally. But that's, just, that's a skill I don't have. You know what's astonishing? Hmm. What? It's, it's actually great that we've done, we've done what we've done. So what we've done is we've got, we've got triple redundancy going on. Right. There could be a nuclear bomb goes off in LA and our stuff's still going to get recorded. <laughs> yeah. But what is amazing is that I freaking forgot to press record. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> because I was so frustrated, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we've got it triply. We've got double redundancy recording of this. I press record now. Now we can get going with the good, you know, the, that perfect audio quality. So we haven't lost anything. That's well. That's good. No, I don't. Okay, because I can see. So what we what we've done is we've we've installed call recorder on both of our machines. Right. right. Call recorder is a twenty dollar um, piece piece of software. Uh, I guess it's probably just for Macs, right? Is there a call recorder for Windows? I think it's just for Macs. Yeah. There was something just like that for uh, for the Windows. You used to call what was called hot recorder or something. What was that called? Call burner. Call burner. Right. It's just like call burner. Right. Yeah, but I like the way your brain thinks. Hot. Burn. <laughs> Hot burn, call, uh, call, yeah. yeah. So, Lateral thinking, yeah. But it automatically starts recording as soon as I get a call in on yep. Skype. And I can immediately see that it's being recorded. I can see the signal. I can see the red blinking light. So it doesn't require me to th- remember to hit record. It doesn't require you. So we're double caught up. But the thing about it is, though, what we're going to try and do is uh, get me some pro audio equipment at some point for our next donation drive yeah. so that I can also record with Audio Hijack Pro, which is what That's you it. use. Yeah. So you, use, you record using Audio Hijack Pro. Call Recorder is your backup. I have Call Recorder on my side, but I can't use Audio Hijack Pro because to, re- to record audio locally, you have to have a professional uh, mic with a professional input. Otherwise, you have all this noise that gets recorded based on the machine and the grounding and stuff. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. So uh, that's amazing. <clears throat> I just I just screwed up again, but we're fine now. So I'm very, very happy about that. And, uh, you know, so we've got that sorted. So I think that's that's enough said about that. So basically, okay. there, never will be, there will never be another missed show. 
So that's good news. That's We're good. never going to miss anything well, again. Well, you know, I, I just I was almost about to write a, a blog post. I just have the title open up in Google Docs called um, what was it? it's called entitled "The Psychological Trauma of Lost Work." Right. Yeah. No. That's that would be a good one. <laughs> so I'm thinking about writing that. Although I was too traumatized to actually write it at the time. I was like, oh, I can't even write this. I'm too depressed. I was so depressed. Even this morning, I woke up and Sandy's like, "What's wrong? Are you okay? Just okay?" I said, "You know, I'm just still. I'm just really bummed that we lost that show. <laughs> just really, really pisses me off because we lost a whole. I guess the whole afternoon of work I could have done, and yeah. the show itself is gone. And now we have to redo it again. And ah." But okay. okay, they get it. They get, they get it. it. All right. right. So look, on, on a more positive note, we have hit our $500 goal of uh, raising money. Uh, the, the goal entered into Indiegogo. So that's pretty amazing. In 30 days, we've raised 500 bucks and we can buy. I've, I've already put the order in for my audio equipment, which is on the way. And um, we'll have like maybe 150 bucks spare from that that we can put into audio equipment for you or for um, up, updating the site. But what, what we've realized is there is another 30 days left to go, so we still can't keep getting money in. So I think we're going to reset the target to 1,000 now so that we can get Jason some, some pro audio stuff and so that we can update the site. What do you think? Yeah, well, if, I get, if, if my equipment is pro audio, then our, our quality is going to be like a, almost like a professional radio show. Yeah, it's gonna, it'll definitely be as good as... Um, is it NPR? Is, that what, is it NPR yeah. or NPR? NPR. Yeah. What, what does M stand for? N as a national national. Oh, national. Radio. Yeah, yeah. So we do have um, this week. We have two executive producers. Okay. Now, yesterday we only had one executive producer. So I guess this is kind of a good thing <laughs> because now we can actually give shout outs to the two executive producers. But the kind of strange thing is that one of them is completely anonymous. That's interesting. Why? So, why would why would our listener want to be, remain anonymous? Do you think? I don't know. Well, you you know, Bams doesn't want to uh, reveal his true identity, so maybe it's Bams. Maybe but who it's... knows? I don't want to presuppose that. I'm just going to say, no, I, yeah, yeah. I, so whoever you are, and you know who you are, we thank you. Yeah, That's thank you, Mister Anonymous. Thank you you are an executive producer of this show. I like it. It's like the unknown <laughs> comic. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then the other executive producer who we thank um, is Tom Sun. Now, I don't know that I don't know Tom's full name. Uh, maybe you can send us an email. And we'll link to you with your full name from the the show notes page. Because, by the way, we, we will link from the show notes page to everyone who uh, becomes an executive producer. But so um, thank you very much. And I think Jason has to thank you for you as well. Yes. No, thank you very much. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Let me ask you a question. What is it? What is the requirement to be an executive producer? So 50 bucks, an executive producer of one show. Okay. 100, 100 bucks is a grand patron of one show. A grand patron. We've had one grand patron, right? We've had one grand patron. That was Ben Boiter, right? Yeah, Ben Boiter, who who basically um, had the story of he he became the grand patron because he wanted to push this through faster. Because every time I mentioned the fact that there's hiss behind my voice, he really notices it. I think he also mentioned that just the <laughs> shock and disbelief of that he expected from me was worth it, which is what he got. Because I was like, I was in shock. Oh yeah, that someone donated hundred. I mean, when you first said you were, we're going to start a donation drive and that we're going to raise money, I just like, dude, that's not. I, I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> Clearly, I was proven wrong because <laughs> we have a lot of generous listeners. So that was that's fantastic. I, I'm really excited about getting the audio, improving the audio, and I'm I'm excited about uh, improving the website design because I think we get a better website design then it'll be easier for us to um, well, get you, that, This is something you were saying yesterday, and, and we should capture this again, okay. which is that you feel that when that we 
The reason why we should raise money to updo us, to basically upgrade the, the front end of the site, we're probably going to need to spend 500 to 1,000 on it, right? And the reason why we should do that is because we will actually get better guests. We'll get better guests for the show because the guests will go to the site, they'll see that we're a, prof- a much more professional organization and they'll want to be on the show, right? Yeah, okay, so we need a low, I think we need the logo designed, a yeah. really good logo designed. And that's in itself is going to cost at least 500 or to a thousand. So if some people want to be thinking, oh, well, why you guys can get a custom theme for less than that? Well, you, we need a, we need a logo, and then we need a uh, designed, and we we need a uh, a site design as well. So right. in aggregate, that would probably cost at least five hundred to a thousand, maybe more to get high quality. But um, yeah, and here's the reason. Here's my reasoning why I can't prove this to be the case. And it's not about getting better guests because we have had some amazing guests, but there are some people that I've invited, been a number of people I've invited who would be who would have been really interesting to have on the show, but they never responded to my emails. And I think it's my supposition that they took a quick look. They never heard of the show, maybe. Maybe they took a quick look, and they, they just look like some really bland, nothing, generic word, WordPress theme, and they're just thinking this thing's a nothing show, right? Mm. And a lot of these people who you might invite on are people who have big followings already. They have tens of thousands of, of blog readers, or, or, or at least, or, some, or maybe they've written books or whatever. So they're, they're someone who's not really looking for attention unless it's from something that even has bigger scale than they're used to, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, you know, if, if, if your blog has 100, has 100 people, 100 readers, and, a, and, a, and, a, and there's another blog that asks you to be a guest writer, and they have 10,000, you're going to be psyched to write for them. Mm-hmm. But if you have, you know, 100,000 readers and a blog that has 10,000 readers says, hey, write a guest post, you're going to be like, no, thanks. Right. <laughs> right? It's just kind of like I, I already have a bigger megaphone than that if I have something to say. And a lot of these people are probably, they're busy doing other stuff. They take a one quick glance at their inbox. They look at it. They're like, eh. You know, and I think that some of the people who we've got, who we've, who've said yes, who are really high profile, like uh, John C. Dvorak, like uh, – you know, Derek Sivers or Richard Dolan or whatever. I mean, they're just, you know, might have just happened that they're, that they tend to read some of the emails a little more closely or they just, you know, might have looked at our website uh, and gave it a second look and didn't take a quick five second glance, but actually looked through the. the Maybe they're the, being, yeah, and they're being just generally good people. They could be, just be nicer people. I mean, I don't right. know. I don't want to say anybody who's, who hasn't returned an email isn't nice, but I am frankly, I'm not impressed when someone doesn't even bother to respond to an, uh, an, uh, an invitation. Right. I mean, right. it's one thing to send me a, a, a one sentence like, hey, thanks for the invite. I'm a little busy right now. Maybe sometime down the road. You know, that's fine. I understand that. But for someone to not even respond, I just I, I don't have a lot of respect for that. So anybody who I've invited on, if you haven't returned my email, I will not invite you out again. <laughs> it's my <laughs> policy. And when we're 10 times the size, you're still not invited. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and I've just realized that but what I said when I said uh, to get better guests, that kind of implies that, oh, our guests aren't good, which is not what yeah, I know. I know that's so. not what you meant. It's just meant yeah. that you just mean that, you know, if I send it like a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, you know, there's been a number of, of suggestions for guests on, on our comments. Yeah. And um, some of the people who, who've been suggested, at least one or two, never responded, you know, and I think maybe had we been, uh, had, had a better uh, website when they took a glance at it, they might have taken it a little more seriously. You know? Okay. So just moving on. Um, I know we have three shout-outs to do, but I don't want to do those yet. I want to start getting into some content now. Okay. Um, we'll do those shout-outs maybe in 15, 20 minutes. 
So the first thing I'd like to get into was the first thing that we got into yesterday. I still think it's a good thing to discuss. In fact, most of the stuff we discussed yesterday, I'd like to go over again. Yeah. But maybe we'll just talk about it a, a little bit faster because we'll have already kind of gone through it. Sure. But but the the blog post that I thought was very interesting was the challenge of being Google. Okay. And essentially, what the blog post was talking about was that. W- we may all have this kind of desire to start a company like Google, to be that big company like Google or Facebook. But one of the things that we probably don't think about is the challenge required to run that type of a company and how that relates to, you know, how easy it is to, to be a bootstrapper compared to that. So, for example, this, it, all the problems come from scale. So Google has all these scale problems. So, for example, the scale issues of finding staff, you know, thousands of staff of buying property um, and, and managing property and, and getting caterers for the staff and, and the, the infrastructure and just all of those issues, which are so kind of difficult. And if you compare that to bootstrapping and the kind of small, uh, I guess, mom and pop shop style stuff, it's just so much harder. And yet, yeah, fair enough, maybe you will become immensely richer, but is that level of riches worth that amount of pain um okay so here's what i would say about that um first of all i think it's not just a matter of comparing google to bootstrappers because bootstrappers gives the impression of like a one or two person just not you know a very nascent company i think you can even no that's true yeah you can compare it to small companies of 10 20 30 people yeah you know those are still 50 people it's even a small company yeah even a company that like earns like 100 million say well, that's even bigger than that, but you know, Isn't whatever. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, smaller companies that are that are that are nimbler, they can move quicker. I mean, you think about it like a ship, right? That move, you know, turning the Titanic around versus a you know a speedboat or or a little sailing yacht or something, right? I right. mean, it's hard to maneuver big ships. I mean, you have a lot of scale and you can do a lot of big things. You get a lot of attention, but there are there are uh, disadvantages of being big. It kind of reminds me of. I've watched on the History Channel a number of times these, like, history of these various wars. Like, you see, like, um, Alexander the Great and how he beat the Persian Empire and a bunch of other, you know, large armies. And, like, his, I think the um, Macedonian army, which was what he commanded, was, like, maybe, you know, oftentimes, like, a tenth the size. Maybe it was a fifth the size. And they would beat these huge armies using um, unorthodox, you know, guerrilla-like tactics. They didn't they didn't take them head on. They would do it in different ways, sort of asymmetric warfare, and they would win. And um, I can't remember. I wish I had this off the tip of my tongue, but I, I don't. But there is some there is some statistic about how smaller forces in these big battles throughout history have won against larger forces more often than not. But in all cases, they use asymmetric and unorthodox techniques. They didn't fight head to head straight up. Interesting. Um, and I think that happens to like when you have a big company and like Microsoft and Google and stuff. Yeah, they have a lot of advantages on their size, but they also have a lot of weaknesses. Um, and that's purely just on a competitive, just speaking in terms of competitiveness. Like, can they be outflanked? Can a big can a big company be outflanked? And the answer is mm-hmm. yes, they can be outflanked if you're not intimidated by the size. But then there's the other issue, which we got into a little yesterday, and we could talk again, which is that the um, whether it's good to grow bigger, you know, and whether it's you know, and and whether it's more enjoyable to be grow a big company or just stay or smaller, small, right? Well, even even the other thing is that that we were talking about as well, which is, I think that because you can outsource so much of your business, you could become the billion dollar company with a tiny team. That that hasn't happened yet, 
But I think that that's going to happen in just in the same way that we've seen billion dollar companies happen faster and faster and faster from Microsoft through to Groupon, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously yeah. Microsoft took the 20 years and Facebook took the two years and Groupon took the few months or however long it took. I, I, I course kind of think the next measure is going to be... Groupon happened over a weekend. It was like a long three-day weekend. <laughs> is that true? No. no, no <laughs> yeah. okay, right. It was a three-day weekend. Like I had an idea. He hacked it over the weekend. Okay, so what I think the next measure will be is kind of how small the company is to hit a billion, as well as kind of how fast. And I think that the companies can become very small when you take into consideration what you can outsource. You can outsource your whole infrastructure, you know, you can outsource so much of your business now. And I don't mean that in the way of like outsourcing to Russia or India or something. I'm more along, more talking about outsourcing infrastructure, such as your whole email system and managing your email system and managing the bounces and the sender policy framework. Also, uh, your like Chargeify, you know, managing your whole subscription services. So you can take all of those different pieces and, of, of course, you know, EC2 and the cloud. So in a sense, you have thousands of people working for you, but they're not really part of your company. You're just buying them in. That's right. Well, yeah, it's like, it's like those UPS commercials, I think. You remember the UPS commercials? They talk about how essentially they're like your partner, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I guess that's that's true, right? We, um, If you can outsource... Uh, subsystems of your company and not have to build it your the entire infrastructure yourself then you can scale much faster yeah. um, and especially if they're their competitive prices and a lot of times these things have become so commoditized that there's no point doing it yourself that you might as well outsource it and whether it's buying your own servers versus you know renting them off of, you know using cloud or renting you know your virtual private servers or you know using rackspace or something um, yeah that's absolutely true and so it, what's interesting about that is you know, companies like Facebook, which has like this incredible ratio of like the number of developers to the number of users serviced. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have by far the highest ratio, I think. Um, and I don't know what the number is, but it's massive. Like the number, like it, there's, it's in the millions of users per developer Yeah, ratio, I think. And, uh, you know, which in Google might be in second or something like that. But yeah, you, and because software is by its nature um, something that, creates leverage, right? You write something once and it does it many times for many people. And the fact that it works on the web, it levers even quicker than if it was some kind of downloadable software that had people had to install. So there's so much natural leverage in writing software because you're automating something that may not have been automated before. And it's, you know, it's just the nature of the web. So, and then by going then a step further and say, okay, well, there's all these other aspects to a business other than the software itself, which is what you're talking about, which is things like, you know, recurring payments maybe, or, or there's other types of software that isn't your core software that can be um, sort of purchased at a very low price, then yeah, that really helps you scale. Sure. Do you think that, I mean, w- with App Ignite, is your plans to move forward with your own set of um, servers or would you do cloud-based stuff? You know, I don't know. I mean, right now I have a virtual private server that I'm using as the, will be the first server because that, that'll be enough for a while. Um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a real expert when it comes to like the Linux admin stuff. So that would be one thing that I would be not so interested in doing myself. You know, you talk about not invent, how I have not invented here syndrome, mm-hmm. right? I have a very cute case of it. <laughs> well, there's certain things I don't want to do. And I just want to think of like, you know, a, a bunch of computers or a bunch of processors just as some abstract, um, in, in, in some abstract notion and not actually have to worry about the details of patching and upgrading software and stuff. It's just, it's just not 
something I want to spend time thinking about. That, so. that reminds me of something that I brought up yesterday as well, which was um, a sysadmin that I found on Elance mm-hmm. who is in Romania, um, okay. a, guy, a guy called Radu. And okay. I used I used him to um, move. Is that his like, name, or do people just call him that? that that's his name. I, I think that's his name, and people call him that. Okay. What's What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are people I know who are called one thing, but that's not their name. So okay, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So I think that's his name, and people call him. <laughs> um, so th- the thing about him is that the impression that I get is he he really knows his stuff. He's been working for like he's got ten years Unix experience. He just came in there and. Um, Moved Plugio from one server, which was the shared hosting environment, set up um, a virtual server in the Rackspace virtual server environment on Ubuntu, and you know set up the firewall, got all that stuff set up real nice, and he's twenty two bucks an hour. That's, so I that's, thought, which is probably quite a bit of money in Romania. Yeah, that's probably like making a hundred dollars an hour over here, or but, more. And but it's a but it's a real it's really a good deal for us. Well, it's great to find someone who can do that level of stuff who really understands sysadmin, right? And if you if you go through his Elance page, I mean, literally, like he's got forty contracts that he's done, and every single person has given him like four or five stars and said, "Yeah, this guy totally knows what he's doing." So I just thought that a lot of people in our position, like yours and mine, we don't really want to do that sysadmin stuff, and we're we're always kind of looking for someone who we can just. Uh, fine to do piecemeal work and 22 bucks an hour is a great rate so i thought i'd uh, just give him a shout out his address is um unixaccess.elance.com that's u-n-i-x-a-c-c-e-s-s.elance.com that's very nice of you you know what i just gave me an idea for a a, a business website yeah go on what let's say you call it the recommended Right. Okay. And, you know, obviously Elance has um, recommended, uh, you know, you you can see people's stars, their ratings and stuff like that. But what people really appreciate is people think developers or anything that's recommended by people they trust. Right. So if you tell me that this guy in Romania is awesome, I'm going to believe you. And if he's not, I'm going to come to your house and... uh, well, that that's that's interesting because that's actually (laughs) caused me problems in the past. Like I've recommended someone who was perfectly fine working with me, but then when they worked with another person, they were just horrific. And that relationship just totally didn't work. Right. And so, so, I, I, I essentially had to bear the brunt of that, that issue. Which means you're only going to recommend people or services that you are, are, are very confident in, right? So I, I take back this recommendation. I don't recommend it anymore. I take back. <laughs> I'm, I'm not recommending anyone. <laughs> no, it's too late. There's no take backs and recommendations. Okay, well, look. look no, he's yeah. actually fine, but I'm just saying that what you yeah. could do is you create a site called, it's sort of like a meta recommendation site for mm-hmm. service providers of, in the technical world. So, like developers, designers, sysadmins, uh, anything like that. And what, what you could do is you could, let's call it, say, say it's called the recommended. Okay. Yeah. And People who know you create like a network of people who you trust and who have used it. I'm wondering if you could build like a meta recommendation thing, like a like this whole like hacker news world, this sort of you know sphere of people. Um, so it's like a social network. It's like a, a recommendation social network and recommendations. Yeah, I wonder if you could build that in. Like here are the recommended designers. That here is the- that, that is a really good idea because I was thinking that 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 would be the same as Angie's list, mm-hmm. but at, I don't know whether you've checked out Angie's list, but that's for more like. You know, Local you service a, providers, I need get a plumber thing. or that kind of thing, yeah. yeah. And it's also, it doesn't seem very social networky, but whereas if you could do what you're describing as a social network, that is a very good idea. Well, like, for instance, um, 
the designer uh, that Patrick McKenzie of Bingo Card Creator fame uh, recommended that he used for, uh, I think, designing Appointment Reminder, his new project. Yeah. And her name escapes me at the moment. I'll put it in the show notes if I can or if I can remember. But um, she, he, he, he talked about her in a blog post about how she did such a great job. And, and I asked him, I think either on the podcast or afterwards, I said, you know, could you give me your contact info? Because, you know, we're looking to do something for the website itself, for uh, the, po- the texting podcast. I might also need something for my blog and for App Ignite, et cetera. And so I, you know, contact her and asked her, you know, what her, what she would um, quote me on some basic things. And, but it's because he recommended her, right? But there's so few people I know who have used and recommend designers, but, you know, much less all the other aspects, like, you know, developers have a specialty that you don't have that you want to be able to utilize or sysadmins or whatever. That reminded me of another site that I wanted to do with App Ignite that I, I think I spoke to you about before. I don't think I'm, we're ever going to do it, so I don't mind talking about it on the show. Mm-hmm. But basically, um, there, there's been a few times, like when I started working for MyVibo, I wasn't very familiar with um, uh, Flex. And uh, so what I did was I put a shout out on Twitter and said, look, is there anyone out there who knows Flex inside out who could basically do some screen sharing mentoring with me and help me get, help me get my head around this? And I ended up working with this great guy who charged like 50 bucks an hour and we just did a screen sharing session and went through flex for like three hours four hours and it really you know i got got to the bottom of it really fast and i think that would be a great site like somewhere somewhere where you could go where you could just get like a a live mentor that you could do screen sharing with for any number of purposes all right well you know so you brought this idea up to me like how long ago like five uh, six months ago or something yeah six months ago yeah we talked about it for a day or two and i actually registered a, a domain name Oh, Based did you? Up, remember? It was anyfoo.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any and <laughs> You've got to do it. You should do that. Any you should foo. do these com. kind of things to, to, to show what App Ignite can do. Well, I, 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 you know, I might, but so anyfoo is in, like, you know, foo is in being like an expertise, like kung fu or something, you know. Yeah. I think people start, I think it's used a, 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 sometimes when people talk about like your Linux foo or something. I think there's, they're, they're, bash foo or i i don't know reg x foo yeah <laughs> so a foo being an expertise so if you have a foo and you're and you're an expert then maybe you charge 35 dollars an hour or 100 dollars an hour or something and you have and you do a screen sharing stuff and maybe you have like an intro video and, and you say this is what i can walk you through and we can do a, few, a series of sessions and there are so many times when i when i think oh god i wish i could just get online with an expert right now instantly and just start working with them and just basically do a screen sharing session because you know you'd get through it so much faster. Yeah, well, I did that once with setting up an EC2 instance back about two, three years ago when it was yeah. really new and there were hardly any tools to help uh, getting that stuff going and documentation was very sparse and some of it was just wrong. Um, well, this guy had done it and uh, I wish I wish to remember his name too, but I, I'm so terrible at remembering names. But really nice guy and... Um, you know, I, I just did a Google search on EC2, um, I think it was EC2 Consulting, and his, his site was one of the first that popped up, and we set up, and I, I can't remember what it was, like I paid him like $50 an hour or something, and uh, we did like, you know, a couple three-hour sessions, and I did some, you know, kind of pre-reading on my own, and then he walked me through it, and I just took notes uh, so that I could reproduce, but it was saved me so much time. And it also reminds me of... Uh, when my buddy Phil Amen, who we had on the show a few episodes ago, um, he was that a few episodes? When was that? It was like two episodes. It you feels know? like two episodes because we. God, missed I can't remember. One. We 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 don't work. We miss. We lost so many shows. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Think, yeah, go on. Anyway, it was like I remember um, that 
I, I can't remember if we did it with uh, our company at the time or right after Renaissance Research Group. I think he, I think he was doing it um, for another project. And what he did is he 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 needed to do some servlet stuff. This is back in like 1998, 99. Yeah. And he, you know he was in he knew a lot about uh, ASP and SQL Server and C but he didn't know Java, and he needed to create some fairly sophisticated uh, servlet based infrastructure. And so what he did is he just read up on some Java for a couple of days and you know read a book or two and with his tutorial. So basically, you know, to do it, and then he hired a Java consultant at you know whatever hundred dollars an hour or whatever it was at the time. And the guy came in and sat down next to him for two days, and then Phil would literally do every do all the typing, and the guy would just sit down and kind of guide him through. He's like, oh, don't forget to do this, you know. Oh, remember, you know this. Yeah. And, That's a great way to do it. It was great. I mean, to this day, Phil's like, yeah, it was the best and fastest way that he learned how to do anything, and it was huge. So, are you gonna are you gonna do any food dot com then, or we're oh, just gonna talk a, about that it? That could be a that could be a sample site that I could create. I mean, I, I don't have a plan to do it right now, but you know, who knows? I mean, the recommended, I mean, you know, it's so easy to come up with these ideas, which by the way, I hear all these ideas that people list on like Hacker News, my ideas, and most of them are just terrible. Right. Terrible. They're like, something is going to organize my shell scripts. And I'm like, dude, nobody <laughs> is going to pay for that. <laughs> it's the nerdiest, geekiest stuff that nobody's used. Like, oh, have, have, take a look at my hundred ideas. It's like, well, 98 of them are just completely unworkable and the other i don't know it's just hilarious uh it's like oh ideas are free check mine out it's like well your idea should be free (laughs) (laughs) well ideas are free i mean they They at the end of the day ideas aren't worth very much some are better than others i can tell you that much i mean maybe the two that we just talked about aren't awesome but there are some that are just terrible you know so the other one idea that i had um for a it's not my idea uh for a bit uh, for a um a business, it's an idea for how to show off App Ignite. Oh, yeah. What, what I would term a micro-opportunity, which is, I think, Gabriel Weinberg of DuckDuckGo, I think it's a term he coined. And, uh, and just to remind people what micro-opportunity is, it's sort of like, you know, you have your main project you're working on, but sometimes these little opportunities come up that you can take a couple days or a few hours and work on, and it'll, and it'll just give you huge leverage at that moment. Um, for your ultimate goal. And so I think it was Friday, 37 Signals wrote a blog post about something, an internal app they created called Iterations. And what it was for is to help them organize all the ideas they had of things that they might work on or features they might add to their various apps. Right. Right. So they say, oh, I want to add this feature to Basecamp or to High Rise or whatever. And what it was is you would just type in like a title and description, like created iteration. And then anyone else could see the iteration who, who would look at iteration could give like a thumbs up or a plus one. Like, yeah, I agree. That would be good. And you could also say I, you could also click a check mark like I'd like to work on it. OK, mm-hmm. so it automatically sort of assembled a team of people who would be interested in working on it. And also, and also had comments. You could write a comment about the iteration. So it really organized everything. It showed which ones were getting a lot of traction among people who wanted to work on them, what people thought about them, who liked them, that kind of stuff. And I was like, that's pretty cool. But they weren't talking about releasing it publicly. They're like, yeah, you know, we, this isn't something we're really thinking about releasing public. It's just something we created for ourselves in a week. And we thought it was pretty cool. Mm. I'm like, you know what? I could generate that with Epic Night in a few minutes. You should do that. Now, you, you were saying yesterday there's a couple of components that you're missing to be able to get that working. Yeah, and it, it's good. It's one good. This is the one one uh, reason it's good that we're recording this because something that I said about it 
and our first recording was flat out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, so we don't have to edit it, and and you can fix yourself. Okay, great. I don't have to have like ten comments going, Jason. You don't know SQL. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, so two things. Was, one, was this one, that weird that weird word that you kept on using yesterday? Oh, like yeah, was yeah, it occlusion or something like that. Yeah, no, no. Okay, so what it what it is is. When, if anyone sees the, uh, I'll put a link to it on the show notes, but if you look at this blog post about iterations uh, on 37 Singles blog, they show a bunch of screenshots and they show a list of the iterations and they have the title of it. And then they show like a list of, of little um, thumbnail headshots, right, of each person who I think supports it. Yeah. Okay. And so that's two things. And when you do a query like that, you're doing kind of a, um, y- y- you don't want to have to write a query for give me the list of iterations and then also for each one you don't want to have to like uh, write another query like give me all the users that support this right that's the like a sub query yeah though that would be a really naive way of doing it and the only way to really do it in one query is writing a correlated sub query i believe but the other way of doing it is um another way of possibly doing is what you do a it's called a group concat so right. right so it's a group <laughs> you, yeah that makes sense okay yeah yeah so you know how you do like can a, you hear that can you hear that guy outside is it really loud that there's a guy with a leaf blower outside is that going to ruin the podcast barely hear it okay be- good yeah okay cool so um group can cat which means like you could do you know how like you use like some or um you know, max or min or whatever for like, so let's say you did a query on posts for, and you said, right, and each post has comments. You could, you could say, you know, um, was it sum or count? Of, yeah. So it's, it's basically like a group function. Yeah, it's a group function, but it, it, you'd have, you could, so if you were doing like a, a group of posts and each in groups and, and the post had tags, you could just, you could list all the tags up for each post without having to do multiple queries or anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, so I wanted to do that, but it's it's not so simple as that for in a generic case because in a generic case you don't know which field it is that you want group concatenated, and a lot of times those fields that you're that you're showing might actually need to have a link into in them. Like for instance, tags have links. So would would it be to basically do the group concat of all the different users and their thumbnails? Is that what it you could? Would be but you you probably I think a more general way is is to do um, you do two queries and you do a single query of the main uh, item, which would be say iterations, and you do an, and you do a sub query. I do a second query, which is of say uh, interested users, supporting users, and yeah. then you do uh, and then you just loop through. Um, and it's easy to do a loop through and kind of connect them up using a hash or whatever. Which I just wrote this like three lines of code of mine yeah. made it work. So I just yeah. have to generate those lines. Of code and that's what i would call like a you a normal like uh active record function for say a particular um model say we call it iteration would be find all i have something called find all deep which would then load up using a technique like that would load up all of the uh, the actual well the way that cake and ruby work is that they have this they, they basically have a setting called recursive Mm-hmm. So basically, by default, recursive is set to on, so it, it will find all of the related records, and it will go down. But you, it's usually just one level deep. I don't know if it's yep. infinite. But so basically, I think you're, you're, you're bringing in that into your framework. Yeah, okay, so what they call recursive, I refer to as deep. Yeah. Okay, so that was the only thing I needed to do. Other than, and the other, and the, uh, that was the one thing I needed to do that was the, with the sort of writing... Um, yeah, that we talked about yesterday. The other yeah. thing was um, making it account-based. So right now, um, I only have it working where it's either a private application. So like, let's say you're creating an application for like your department at work, and and you would manually like add users. You would send them an invitation, say I've added you to this application. Yeah, All right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 
And the second one would be sort of like a user base, which would be like Flickr or Reddit or whatever, where everybody has their own account and you can see other, you can see other people's posts and you can maybe comment them and you can edit your own stuff or add your own stuff, but there's no account. People aren't grouped together. But like Basecamp, for instance, be an example of a, an account base. So like you would set up on a Basecamp account and you would add users to your account. And so when I log in with that particular username to that Basecamp account, I only see the projects and tasks and milestones for that particular account. Right. Right. So that and that's what you would need for iterations because there'd be many accounts set up that would have iterations and everything in them. So I just need to add well, that, which I just did uh, in a couple hours or most of I just did the day. So when you when you brought this up. Yesterday, um, you you said, "Look, th- this is what I'd need to to do." Do you think it's worth my while, kind of going off off track a little bit and getting that get stuff done? And my answer was absolutely, because the sooner you get it out the door, the sooner you get something out the door, the sooner it will it will really be there. And I I want you to be in a situation where you're bound by the database structure that you've created, and you actually have to think about how to move forward with it rather than just being able to completely change it at, at whim. And- so even if App Ignite, it's, App Ignite proper isn't released publicly, if an, if, a, if an application that was generated by it is released publicly, that's at least a step in the right direction. That's the yeah, sort of definitely. Well, definitely, because so I, you, need, you need to, like, you, like, in my opinion, having that flagpole in the sand gives you, it gives you a stake in the game and... Um, can I think of any other similes? <laughs> but just, I don't know, just having something out there, is just, it just solidifies what you're doing. It's just going to be so good. I, I, I want you to be out there. I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's funny because taking a micro opportunity like this, it's a little bit of a diversion, right? Right, yeah. And it would, it's a little bit of a diversion. Building the app itself is not a diversion. The only thing that's a diversion, really, time-wise, is, is just doing a little bit of a design for it. You know, I could either c- completely copy their design, which I don't think is a good idea. I'll do, like, my own design, but it will be clearly be a, a, an iterations type of app. Um, and the reason I, I'm doing that is just say, hey, you know, put it up on Hacker News, say, here's an, a public app. I know people like this app. We thought it was cool, too. I generated it in just a few minutes using App at Night. Give them a reason to go, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. So if, if they look at iterations, I think that's a reasonably sophisticated application. Um, yeah, and by the way, App Ignite isn't, you know, doesn't exist yet, but you can just type in your email address here, and then as soon as I launch it, You'll that's be on right. the mailing list. That's right. That's the whole micro opportunity. So if, yeah. if 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 I build this thing, it could get a lot of attention. In fact, it's even something that I could maybe send an email to Read Write Web and say, "Hey, I'm about to launch this iterations thing that would generate this other app. Would you want to write about it or check it out?" Mm-hmm. And that might be something that a, a, that a, a site like that might like to do. And I could get some major traction, bigger than just a popular blog post, and could generate you know bring in another five hundred or a thousand people to the App Ignite beta list with only you know let's say. You know, if we talk about all the extra design work and stuff, 15, 20 hours of extra work, tops. Yeah. And most of that is just like, okay, two things that I wasn't going to work on in this first minimum viable product release of Appignite, which was the account-based permissioning and uh, the, um, the recursive stuff, the recursive uh, finds. Um, I, I, both of those actually turned out to be relatively easy, you know, a few hours of work. Yeah, but to, but to me, I don't know how you could have released without them. They're both very, very important. Yeah, which is funny, right? They said like things. You're like, oh, just release it, and you're like, well, you absolutely have to release it. That. It's <laughs> <was> like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, right? I well, mean, actually, that, that that brings us back to something else that we talked about yesterday. That was actually a good discussion, which was about the um, this developer's life and uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen, the interview with him on this developer's life. And I was really interested as he was going through his story about uh, creating Ruby on Rails that when he created Ruby on Rails, he actually spent 
up to a year, I think it was, refining it after it had after he'd kind of given birth to it, which is so different to what what we've been well so different to the cargo cult of release early, release often, right? It's much more along the lines of what you're doing with Apoch Knight. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you can go, you can err on both sides, and it's always context dependent, right? I mean, if you're creating a really simple application, then maybe you can get it out there early. And obviously, the longer you work on something without releasing it, the more risk you're uh, taking on. There's a better chance that you're never going to release it because you took on too big of a problem, that you're just going to get bored or get mired in details and give up, or that five other competitors are going to pop up before you release it and you're going to get discouraged and quit. Right. So you, if you hold on for too long, but if, you, if it's too early and you release something that's crappy and everyone is like, doesn't care about it and thinks it's crap and that could kill you if you if you if that if that could actually kill your um but that shouldn't even kill you. but that shouldn't kill you because um i mean once then then what, what's great about this show is since we meet all these different people we've got all these different examples because now i can go back and say yeah but what about patrick mckenzie he didn't even earn a hundred dollars in the first year he didn't earn two hundred dollars in the second year he's still stuck with it right he stuck with it for four years before he started making any money so it's it's almost like you know, it's impossible to fail as long as you take the right approach. I think ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, the best thing is to just not give up. If you're not going to give up and keep working hard, you're going to, you, you know, you can, you can, you can release something in three weeks or you can release something in a year uh, or 18 months. I mean, there are people who are, there are definitely projects that have been successful that were worked on for quite a while for the release. It's just, it's just harder to do, release something and take a long time and, and, and still release it because there's so many ways that you can end up giving up because you don't have that psychological reinforcement of a community of people and supporters and people who like what you've done already and are trying to, you know, are beating on you to get another version out. Like if nobody cares about it, nobody knows about it, but like you're, you know, you're one buddy and you're a girlfriend or something and you never release it. And then you just, it's so easy to just quit and be like, oh yeah, I got other stuff to do. I got a new job or this or that. I kind of think that what this highlights is that one of the most important bits of advice that we've ever given and this comes from you, is to pick something that you actually really want to do and that you could stick with for years and years. And so I think in a lot of the businesses that I've done, for example, like Plugier, right, it's mm-hmm. been like a micro-opportunity kind of thing. Yeah, rather, it was opportunistic. Than, it wasn't a dream, it was just an opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. Being opportunistic. Now, if, if I'd have stuck with something like Apignite, I think that would have been better in many ways because I could have just stuck with it for ages. I think I've found that thing now. Um, yeah, in in the in the think tank stuff, but um, yeah, I yeah. think uh, because the 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 most important I think attribute for success I think for entrepreneurship is perseverance. Yeah. I think if, I mean there's all these other things that help being aware of what's going on, being smart, have, you know, being a good writer, being a good designer, being a good having a good sense of product, being you know good at recruiting a community. I mean there's all these things you could talk about that are, are essential, but really the only the number one thing that'll kill you is if you quit. And mm-hmm. if you don't quit, you're still in the game. And if you're still in the game, you still got a chance. So don't quit. And so whatever is going to keep you from quitting, um, whatever you can do to increase the odds that you won't quit, the better off you are. And one of those things is to, is to, is to work on something you fundamentally think is cool. Not that you necessarily think, you know, your only reason you're doing is because it's going to make a lot of money or because it's really a big hot topic or a hot area right now. It's just you want it to exist you love it you want to use it yourself and you're not going to rest until it exists and i think that's a really good thing and you know if you're lucky that thing is also something you can get out the door in a month or so but sometimes it's a bigger problem and then just it's just a riskier proposition but at the very least you have it and you have the advantage of the fact that you are uh, really committed to it because you really want it to be there exist 
do you think the fact that I've done I've really, you know I've I've done about 20 different things or 25 or however many I've done over the last 10 15 years at the macro level like have <laughs> is, is 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 I guess there's some there's some aspect of not quitting just because yeah he's done 20 things he just keeps on going back for more this that stupid blogger <laughs> no that's right i mean you know I, you know it's it's sort of mixed i mean sometimes you have one company that'll pivot and it'll keep changing ideas yeah. right but in a sense if you're a solo entrepreneur you are one company in a sense because you're not bound together with an illegal entity with other people. And so every single time you start a new product, in a sense, it could be considered the same company, the company of Justin Vincent. It's just yeah. a new product. You're pivoting, you're creating a new product, I guess. I mean, you could say that in a way that, that makes some kind of sense. But yeah, you're just staying in the game. You just, you want to stay in the game. Don't, don't quit. I mean, you know, sometimes you stay on a product and it's like, it's just not, you just find a product that's not going to work. It doesn't mean you have to stay on the product forever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think you just, there's things that just after a while you realize aren't going to work for, for a variety of reasons. And it's best not to, uh, and especially if you lose the passion for it, you know. All right. Well, let's, do, let's get some of those shout outs done. Okay. Um, so this, the, just, just three people, um, this week or in this show, um, Norway loves you. Gave us 30 bucks. <laughs> Thank you, Norway. Texting loves you. <laughs> Texting loves you. So I'm guessing that is Guyon. You know, I forgot to ask him. I, I talked to him on the phone and I forgot to ask him. I should, you know, but I don't know. Let's not assume it's him because he okay. hasn't for it. So we also have a 20 buck donation from Neville, who is Jay Skeevil's brother. And um, Jay Skeevil is the geologist we interviewed a few shows ago. Yeah. And Neville said... Um, that we didn't actually have to thank him. He'd, he'd be more interested in getting some kind of uh, thank you or nod on the Race for Helium 3 website. Right. Um, which is something else we can talk about in a minute because we've got a couple of comments about that. One, one interesting comment about it being in the zeitgeist. And, okay. you know, maybe this is the right time to think about that. And then mm-hmm. we got a 10 buck donation from Rob Walling from um, Startups for the Rest of Us. So thanks a lot, Rob, for that. Uh, thank you for the hookup. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Much appreciated. Yeah. Um, and uh, one thing before I forget, uh, sort of related, is uh, Philip Monet wrote a um, iTunes review. Oh, yeah. Of the show. And I think we have like, only have like three or four reviews. So one thing that, uh, that uh, Philip did is he left a link to the actual iTunes. Uh, uh, the iTunes, um, I don't know, our iTunes page or whatever it is. Yeah. And he said, you know, he, his his feeling is that people pro- may not be writing <laughs> their views because they don't really know where to and it just is a pain. But if we put a link up on the site, it'd be easier for people to click on it and write a review. So we'll put that in the show notes. And I think we maybe we won't put it up on a page somewhere. But we really could use some uh, iTunes reviews, uh, people. <laughs> oh, iTunes, yeah, definitely. That would make a big difference to us. Well, because here's the thing. You know, you know, like on YouTube and stuff, you go into like where they recommend other videos like, oh, you like that one, you like these. Yeah. And that's how you find stuff. The discovery mechanism. Well, there's that really works well in uh, in iTunes, but you got to get the iTunes reviews to get kind of pumped up and get some uh, recommendations to get some positive reviews. If not, you just get lost in the sea of or the abyss. So yeah. that would really help us a lot. If, if for anyone, any of our listeners who uh, who isn't about to d- unsubscribe. <laughs> who still likes the show, uh, please just take a couple minutes and, and just write a read. Even if it's a short one. Two hey, are sounds. we up to date on all of our blog thank yous? I don't think we have. Uh, yeah, we are. We have no, no blog posts this week. We could also use a blog post reviews. Anybody who wants to write a blog post review, we'd always appreciate that. that well, the way, yeah, I mean, the way that you said that there didn't sound, you know, that inspiring. Okay, inspire me. <laughs> we could 
really use a blog review. It would be so fantastic. It would make all the difference in the world to us. It would make all the difference in the world to our podcast. And it would mean that we could go out and get more people and get great interviews. And I, f- I feel like we're starting to sound like NPR. Other than- <laughs> okay, but the problem right, is we have three, you know, I, I remember reading uh, recently was like one of the problems with sort of like um, website conversions and stuff is there's more than one call to action. Right. So we have three calls to actions. Donate on Indiegogo. Yeah. Write an iTunes review. Yeah. Write a blog post. Yeah. So the number one most helpful thing I would say is uh, donating money to the show so we can improve the website and the audio quality. Yeah. That would be our first. Like, if you uh, have already donated or don't have the funds, we could really use an iTunes review. I think that's probably the second right now. And the third, which would still be helpful, would be a blog post. Okay. But all three would be even better. Sort of like a Christmas bundle before Christmas. Enough said. Enough said. Because right, on. one, one thing I'm, I'm aware of um, on No Agenda, when they first started bringing up this kind of stuff of asking for things, the way that they did it was kind of irritating or something. And I just uh, like... Yeah, you're irritating me right now. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm tr- trying to do it in a way where we can keep it in... We never do more than a minute of it. Okay. Okay, let's, let's, let's <laughs> so move on. Then. Move on, right? Okay, so go on. I've, I think I've brought up every story so far. You must have something. I like you bringing up stories. Keep bringing them up. Oh. You're like the Leo Laporte of the Today Show. Okay. Uh... The first chink in good. This is the, we had a, a great argument about this yesterday. I've actually forgotten how we got there or why we had the argument, but I'm just going to rem- just mention the the first thing that I remember about it, which is I said the first chink in Google's armor was YouTube, and the reason why I said that was the first chink in Google's armor because there's there's some talk now. Even um, John Dvorak's done a little uh, some posts about. Uh, the demise of Google, <laughs> okay, right? right? So what I said was that I think we're talking about, you know, how these big monopolies are out there and how they're kind of unstoppable or untoppable. But YouTube kind of Google already had their own video offering at the same time. And you and Google couldn't get their um, video offering to take hold because their brand, in my opinion, is kind of siloed in people's minds. So that brand is is not couldn't really work in the, in the multiple different avenues so that's why google video never took hold so in the end they ended up ended up having to pay 1.8 billion right for youtube okay. and i think you had an opposing opinion what was that well okay so here's my feeling you know is it always a challenge to introduce a new product line um yeah it's always but it doesn't mean that you can't you don't have to only do one thing you reinvent yourself you make yourself more general so for instance um you could say well apple was a computer company Right. And then later they decided to create iPods and iPhones and iPads and all these other things. So you say, well, they're no longer just a a um, computer company. They're doing this a consumer electronics. They're not a computer computer and a electronics. They're a were the company of cool. You know, but you can only say that later, right? You could say before they made cool computers, and it wasn't like they're discovering what they are; they're expanding what they're what they are, and they just sort of throw it under an umbrella of one um, of of one brand, sort of um, I, I don't know uh, personality. But the, but so basically, Apple are becoming a lifestyle company, right? Do you think that Google could become a lifestyle company like that? No, no, not Apple. But you know, but that, that, Apple- that, and that's what I'm saying. So basically, they they they're kind of stuck with their with their image and their branding, right? So uh, you I, I think I think app, computers. I mean, companies can always change. They can always make themselves over. They can always adapt. It's hard, and it takes. Well, AltaVista couldn't. You know, I mean, there's well, there's so many companies that have not been able to to shift their brand. Just image. because 
some person or some company is incapable of something doesn't mean it's impossible in the general, right? It just, it just means that it's not easy for companies to do it. And as we've talked about, big companies have a hard time changing direction. So for instance, Nike went from being a shoe company or sports you know, running shoe company into a sporting goods company into, I don't even know what's even bigger than that now. It's, I don't know what, how you would describe everything they do, um, but it's definitely a sports equipment company of some kind. Um, or you could say Google started out as a search company, and then it, then it was about organizing the world's in, uh, information, and then it might be something even more general than that. And yeah, in some cases, they'll fail or cut. Their social networking failed. Google Buzz failed. But Google Docs succeeded, and other things but, have okay. succeeded. Do you, do you think that Microsoft could become the lifestyle company that Apple is? No, but why, why, why is becoming a lifestyle company the only way to become because, more general? Because I, I, because you keep on saying that that Apple made this huge jump, and I'm not so sure they did, because Apple was always the kind of the cool guy on the side versus. Now they weren't Microsoft. very cool in yeah, but, but they, uh, to 1996. I mean, 96. No, not cool. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like they were like they were the they, like they were like the in your face guy with the mohawk. Right, they were they were like the punk on the block compared to Microsoft and IBM that were the big guys. Right? See, I don't. I okay. All right, right, right. Do you see, so do you see what I'm they, saying? So it's, I it's, see what you're trying it's to not say. so I, different what they're doing now to what they've always done. I understand what you're trying to say. I understand what you're saying. Or I guess I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I don't think that's quite true. I think what's happening is you look at something the way it is now, and then you sort of retroactively re revise history so that it all makes sense in like one line. It's almost like when an entrepreneur becomes successful and even though they work 10 years and we just discovered them or not, you repaint the story, you recast the story in some way that it slims it down and makes it digestible. Like, oh, it totally makes sense because that's how they always were. It's like, no, it was this rambling path and they ended up where they are and you can't just revise history and just say it was a straight line arrow and it was always this one general concept that described it. Like, they were always cool. I mean, they started out, yeah, and they were more like the Apple IIe wasn't cool um, it was just like a more of a consumer-based thing than the IBM PC. Uh, then, the, then, well, they were the, they were the first PC. Then the IBM PC came out, but it wasn't until the Mac came out that it was a 1984 commercial, right? Okay, let me ask you a question. Anti-authoritarianism. It wasn't cool. It was just anti-authoritarianism. Was their sort of? Thing. Here's a question: Why did Google spend 1.8 billion on YouTube and not 1.8 billion on marketing their own video site? Well, because YouTube had, uh, had they had reached critical mass of uh, of adoption in the consumer market. But why why not just? I mean, if 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 the Google brand wasn't an issue, and that you could you can basically fix any of those branding problems, surely you could fix it with one point eight billion. Yeah, it wasn't that the brand was broken. It wasn't like there was anything wrong with Google Video. It wasn't like people had a problem understanding that, oh, you can upload video to Google um, and use it there. It was just that YouTube um, had so much uh, mind share that everyone just thought YouTube. You just didn't even think about anything else. If anybody was coming new to the market, like, oh, I got some videos. Like, so it's about mind share. Yeah, they just had they had brand traction, brand mindshare, whatever whatever terminology you want to use. They just had it, and Google wanted it. They're like, all right, we we need to be, we want to be the uh, the video leader in the space, and uh, let's just grab YouTube, and we will have their stuff and ours, and we'll just be the. I mean, I have to say, uh, Google are doing very well with with Droid. I mean, it it I do get the sense that Droid is going to be huge. I think Droid is uh, going to be like it's going to be like in a way. The my feeling is. Like uh, Windows used to be to uh, Apple, you know that kind of concept. I feel like Droid will be to 
So the iPhone and Apple stuff was is was all proprietary. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't license the the software out to other hardware manufacturers. But Google is following uh, Microsoft's mm-hmm. path of saying, "Hey, you can run the Droid operating system in it and any uh, hardware that supports it." Yeah, exactly. So, so it's just, it's it's basically it's the new it's the new same war, but just on phones between yeah. between Google and. Um, Apple. Yeah, and I, you know, in the end, I think it always comes down to execution. I mean, just because it had played out that way in the past, it doesn't mean it has to play out the same way in the future. In, in the future, meaning that it doesn't mean that Apple's going to lose. I mean, Apple may because they can they control the entire experience from top to bottom. It may be that they're always able to stay a couple steps ahead in just terms of overall quality of experience. It may be that case for the foreseeable future for the next five to ten years. I mean, the price does years make now, a big difference, though. My my friend in in England who really absolutely loves Apple design um, just made the decision just based on price, just the fact that he could get the latest Droid essentially for free without having to spend the two hundred bucks or the two hundred pounds UK pounds to get the iPhone 4, he just went, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to go with Droid. Well, and a lot of people will choose Droid. And a lot of people, just like a lot of people have bought, uh, still buy PCs and buy PC laptops, even though, um, you know, to most people in technology, uh, Apple's uh, hardware is just superior in right. not only quality of the operating system, but the design or whatever. But you're just still, so plenty of people are going to walk into Best Buy or, you know, they're going to look on the web and they're just like, you know, I'm going to spend $400 and get this laptop. I'm not going to spend, you know, 1500 or, you know, dollars or something. Hey, that, and, that brings up a good point. Like, how, how are you getting along with your Apple? Have you started to like it yet? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> how, I'm how getting long have you wanted now. I'm getting comfortable. I don't know. What has it been, like six weeks or something? Right, yeah. It's hard to, hard Three to months was the, was the time that I thought that you were going to really get into it. So you're, what, like six, six weeks into it? Let's see. see it's, it's, it's middle November. I would say it's two and a half months. I'd say it's about 10 weeks because, yeah, I think it's been about 10 weeks. Um, maybe close on three months. Huh. Okay. Yeah, so here's my feeling. I, um, I'm okay with it now. I mean... I'm still not as comfortable with it as I as I am with uh, a PC, just because you know, obviously, spent years and years writing code and working on one. Um, but uh, I'm not as frustrated as I was. <laughs> you know, one thing that's funny is I used my uh, for quite a while. I was using my um, Dell keyboard, yeah. in, in in place of the uh, the little tiny uh, Mac keyboard. And then it actually died. One of the keys got stuck. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't unstick. It wouldn't, which wouldn't work anymore. And so I was like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to um, use the Mac one. And I got used to it. So now I'm actually, but here's what the interesting thing is. I'm actually faster at typing on the small keyboard. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. Well, There's I- little tiny keys. I, I'm actually a quicker typist. I actually can, I notice how much faster I am. I, I really can feel uh, That's it. what I was going to ask you is, like, have you got to the stage now where you actually feel like some things are better on the Mac than they used to be on the PC? Like what? I'm trying to think. Can you give an example? Well, I don't know. Just just your your daily workflow. I mean, working just any, anything that comes to mind. If not, that's fine. But I just wanted. I don't to- know. It's pretty generic for me. You know, the web browser, a text editor, FTP client, Skype, um, a, a subversion client. Um, I'm trying to think what I do. iTunes. I'm just kind of all the same in a way. Right. I mean, Skype is a little slicker. Um, I think I, the only thing that still irritates me is that I is resizing the window by the lower right hand corner. I still think that's retarded. Oh, isn't there isn't there a plugin for that or some something? That you I, people have talked about some things, but I looked at, but none of them were perfectly seamless. It was always a little hacky, and I was just sort of hesitant to do that. I mean, there you're I've, working I've, locally I've, now, aren't you? I know that you're working locally, and I think that. I mean, uh, do you feel that that's a good thing? Like you've got your whole web server installed locally. Do you do you enjoy that setup? 
I don't know. You know, it's still, um, it's still the one thing was that we couldn't dynamically create subdomains. That still frustrates me. Even though you can manually go in and edit the HT access or whatever it was, the HTTP. Do you really miss the days of like FTPing up the files every time you make a change? I don't mind it. You just like double click in and pushes it up, but just to make that much difference. I mean, Guyon would always complain about it, but I just understand what all the bitching was about. <laughs> Actually, on, on the Mac, there's a piece of software called um, Transmit, which is the FTP yeah. software, and that will basically mount any FTP server as a disk. So, as far as the, uh, the OS is concerned, it's just another hard disk. And right. basically that is kind of cool. I mean, it really, you couldn't tell the difference, so it, w- it wouldn't feel like you're FTPing anything. Hmm. Yeah, but then if you're local, if that's your working directory for sub- your subversion, then you won't have your subversion files on your web server, right? You know, you wouldn't, no, no. Yeah, what, so that's what you that could would make do, it but the, re- the reason why people put subversion files on their web server is to basically deploy to their web server. So what they'll do is they'll install subversion there and they'll, they'll CD in via um, SSH, and then they'll do SVN update on the command line, and then that will pull all their files down to the web server. Mm-hmm. But that's the way that they deploy it out that way. That's a pretty common way to do yeah, it. Yeah, you know, but, but here's the thing. I mean, if I have a local working directory yeah. for Subversion, right, and I'm editing those files in client, which is actually a mounted drive because of Transmit, well, that's actually on the server. So my Subversion files are actually sitting on the web server, which is not what you want, No, right? no, no, that, that wouldn't be, no. So, and it's, and so even if you weren't doing that, you still have to copy them to yet another, you know, quote, local directory, which is your, so it's the well, same no, thing. Well, it's great. I mean, you're just going going along with what I've always kind of preach to you which is it's kind of silly to to be working on the server i just happened to say as an aside okay. that, that that if you really did want to go down that crazy path you could use transmit <laughs> right right um so i i don't know i mean working locally working i i don't i mean it's, it's kind of thing is i'm kind of like a you know i guess a, a little bit of a creature of habit once it, once things are working and i'm fairly efficient i don't like screwing with it right because it's just such a waste of time so that that's why i get so frustrated with moving to the mac because it was just such a huge uh cost in terms of getting all set up with new software and new workflow and just found it so frustrating so once i get something up and going i'm just like screw it you're going to get some um mac con- i know you can't talk about them but don't you have some in the pipeline some mac specific contracts yeah, in fact, I talked to one client today. It looks like that's going to happen, and I have another client um, in the pipeline that I'm supposed to talk to. So it looks like I may have a couple of Mac my clients, which is the whole point of getting an iMac is so that I could create iPhone apps using Accelerator. So, yeah, well, that would be that would that would that would make the whole thing, I guess, worth it. Yeah, great. I mean, so but uh, so I don't have a beef with the Macs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like I have a problem with them. It's just um, I'm not convinced that it's a huge um, huge win for me over the PC. That's all. all right, so have you got any other topics? So now you still haven't brought anything to the table. I haven't brought, but I like the idea of you bringing the table. This is fun. Yeah. This is just making you bring it. Well, okay, let's take a couple quick things, okay? okay? One was we talked about testing a little bit last time. Yeti, I believe, asked a question about, um, and I want to double check on this. Um, he said uh, we, that we, don't talk, we haven't talked much about testing, mm-hmm. and he was hoping that we would. Mm-hmm. So while I look up his name, why don't you tell, talk a little bit about how you do testing? So Yeti says, also, another thing I don't think I've heard you guys discuss is your approach to software testing. For my current project, testing has become crucial as the code has increased in complexity. Alongside my custom test harness, I've also been using a off-the-shelf code coverage tool to develop test cases and reduce redundant code. Um, So I don't actually, I haven't had a lot of need for automated tests for um, say App Ignite, and the reason being that it's really hard to test uh, the code generation because the code the code that I want generated is constantly changing. Um, 
And I, what I just do is I do a lot of manual testing. Um, and I mean, there might be ways to, to write some tests, but as it is, you know, when I generate when I write some new generators and we want to test out, okay, we just, we'll just generate a bunch of different apps and try and really do boundary testing and, and find things that might break it. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that's not an automated test. There's no regression test suite or anything like that. So it'd be nice to have one, but I just haven't found a really easy way to do it that wouldn't turn out to be a huge diversion in time. Um, but I do try and do as much uh, manual testing as I can because, uh, you know, obviously it's a big deal. And one thing I thought about, and, and I've done this before with Guyon, is is we'll do like a breakathon, which would be like have a contest to see who can break, find the most and and the worst possible bugs. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that forces your mindset. So one mindset as a developer, and the reason developers aren't always the best testers is because they always use to follow the same code path, you know, path through the application. And yeah. you're, in, in one sense, you're kind of hoping it doesn't break. Right. You really don't want it to break. So you're sort of avoiding things on purpose. But if you change, if it becomes a contest, you think, all right, I'm going to you know, be guying at this. I'll bet you if I enter uh, a name for a column that has a blah, 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 that's going to break it. You know? Or I bet you, you know, and just really try and find it. Then you can change your mindset and you can find a lot of problems, I think. Uh, and that's what we did before and it worked pretty well. The, the other thing I would say is, um, I, you know, I, I, I know that there's a lot of uh, pressure now to, you, to, to follow things like test-driven development. And I was just about to, to say do, that. Have you heard of test-driven development? And do you, know how that, do you know how that works? I mean, like, yeah, you know I do, what but there's actual... no, there's no way in hell I'm going to do it. It's just, it, I, I understand why people do it, but it just would be um, way too. Uh, it would just, it would just be way too tedious and time consuming. Can you describe it for us? Well, my understanding of the way it works is that you have an idea of what you know. So let's say you have a class you want to write. Then what you do is you create an interface for the class, and you know you might just write some stub that don't do anything, and then you write some tests that are based on that interface, and you write the tests first, and then you uh, fill out the code and so make the, sure it so works. the test fails. So you run your you run your um, test harness, and basically mm-hmm. your test harness will print out red and green error messages. So it'll be like pass, mm-hmm. pass, pass, or fail, 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 and. Um, you will just, as you say, you will just write out, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 tests, and then you will code them and make them pass. And in a sense, it's, it's kind of a quicker way to do that than it is to code stuff out and test it by running it in the browser and actually testing it. Yeah, some things lend themselves to that. I mean, I wrote a symbolic regression library, which essentially is this. This is about you know we're going to go back to some machine learning stuff here. Yeah. So people have heard of genetic algorithms, which you have an algorithm that has a bunch of inputs, and you do a search through a massive search space and all, uh, through all the parameter space to find the optimal points. Um, for that particular function. Well, the next step is rather than involving parameters for a known function, you're evolving the functions themselves. So these become these arbitrarily complex functions. Well, symbolic regression is you try and... um, You're you're trying to find the the actual... let me see if I can put this in a simple way. You're actually trying to evolve the um, the algorithms or the functions, but you're taking the gradient um, based on the numerical the numerical gradients of the of the data and comparing that against the derivatives, the symbolic derivatives of the actual functions, and comparing that. And that's a really uh, robust way to build um, 
uh, to evolve algorithms. Mm -hmm. That's actually not symbolic regression. That's a that's a, a use of a symbolic regression. That's a library I built. So you can probably tell by my description, but it's very complicated code because right. you're you're using uh, you're 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 having to create these arbitrarily complex um, composition of functions and be able to take have it figure out what is the actual symbolic derivative of that. So did you write um, the tests before the code in that case? So I wrote a lot of tests for that. I mean, I wrote you know this. I mean, I wrote a huge regression suite and test suite because it was so easy to evolve some function that would that would calculate the wrong derivative or or there be a derivative that would be undefined based on you know on, on some aspect of it. So yeah, in that case it was sure. But for for generating stuff like yeah, we're sticking stuff in a database, and we're pulling stuff out, and you know it's like ah, eh, you know it's a overkill. I think that what, what I mean, I think that what Yeti's talking about or getting at is probably the full continuous integration environment that you'd mm -hmm. use in the kind of agile way. And that was something that we did at First Consult. And I found this kind of environment works really well in corporates, corporate companies that have lots of money to spend on it. It, it's, it just feels and fits much better than it does in a, in a small startup. So just to kind of explain what we had going at First Consult, we would, you know, anytime, anytime a check-in was done, that would automatically get um, sent to Subversion and then Subversion would run a hook that would basically start the tests and then it would go through a full test suite of PHP unit tests where it would test all of the code on a kind of functional level. And then it would kick off a Ruby um, testing system which would test the front end. So Ruby would be going through the com... Uh, what's that called? The com interface on Windows? Yeah, com interface. Yeah, com interface. yeah mm -hmm. so basically Ruby would be driving Internet Explorer and that would be testing the full site. In those days, we didn't have uh, WebKit. Uh, and uh, right. that kind of accessibility. Yeah, you take me back with COM. I used to write a bunch of COM stuff. Right. I used to write the internet, the interface definition language, mm -hmm. IDL, and writing all these complex C++ to, to, to implement all the COM mm -hmm. services. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. But, you know, look, I mean, here's the thing. There are certain things that are there's, that's really complicated. There are certain uh, subsystems. There are certain types of code that's really complicated that really lend themselves well. And there's a huge payoff to having automated tests. But there are other things that's just a lot simpler, and it's really easy to tell if the stuff's working or not with a few manual tests. And it just it's, it's just a it's a it's a it's more time than I want to spend on it. And I think is you is really necessary. And there's a couple things. One is as an independent developer who's doing this on the side, you got to move fast, and you just want to get something up. And if I had to write these really comprehensive tests suites for everything it would take me three times as long to get everything done plus it would kill my motivation because i'd be you know going brain dead out of boredom writing all these yeah, tests. yeah 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 and i mean t tests work also another way that tests work well is if you've got a big team and you've each been given piecemeal tasks it's actually kind of easier to create libraries and stuff by writing the test first so that's where tdd does really yeah. work nicely yeah like i said there are certain instances where it works great i mean there's certain types of libraries there's certain types of numerical code complex stuff like tests are great and i would use them but for the stuff that i'm doing with app ignite it just i i haven't there's nothing has occurred to me that would work in any kind of reasonable way that would just be a waste of time mm -hmm. um and if i think of things great but i, I just haven't and you know all i do all i can do is well, kind of they, but, but don't you think i mean I mean, it's funny you should say that because to me, AppIgnite and um, AppIgnite and Mash API are prime candidates for testing. Basically, anything that other developers and and other other businesses rely on your code and your frameworks, the kind of things that should be tested. So, so for example, I I could very much imagine you having a scenario where you had a test system that published an app, published every feature every feature of the app, tested every feature of the app, and reported 
back if there was any errors. And every time you introduced new code that was going to be released publicly, you ran it through that test suite. That would kind of make sense to me, given the business that you're building. Yeah, assuming I had the time to write that, all that stuff. That's a lot of time. I mean, and it's just, I, I think one thing we talked about yesterday, which I think is important to consider, is that um, it's almost like you want to get something built and up there and make sure you're building the right thing and make sure that people care about it before you spend all this time writing, um, you know, all, uh, investing all this extra time on it. Right. Because that takes a lot of extra time. You can bulletproof it as you go along. You can come back and refactor it and write some more bulletproof reg- regression tests. But I just think when you're doing some, you're bootstrapping a project or trying to get up there, you want, yeah, you're gonna, you should test it, find ways to test it, but just do it as efficiently as possible. If it's a complex s- subsystem, write automated tests. If it's something that's more like UI stuff that you can test easily and, and without having to spend a lot of time thinking about it ma- by just doing manual tests, just do it that way and then just get through it and move on. At uh, what know? point are you going to say, oh. For, for, oh, you want to say something? No, go on. For, for App Ignite, right? At what point mm-hmm. are you going to say, I think this is ready for you to build pretty serious applications on? Or are you going to start off with like a terms and conditions that says, look, this is, this is just work in development. Don't do really important stuff on it. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'll probably, you know, come up with a private beta and we'll just kind of see, you know, I have the first 10 or 20 people who, are, who will give me a really good run through and we'll see how it feels, you know, bug wise. And I guess it'd be based on my confidence level, what we can build. And I'm going to come into the, I'm not going to go public. I'm only going to, once I go public, I'm going to charge. Mm-hmm. There might be a 30-day window, but um, I'm not, I'm not going to have this like, you know, extended public beta where I don't charge any money and I just try and decide at some point to charge. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to – that's why I'm sitting a little – working on it a little longer because if you release something that's really buggy and really limited, nobody's going to pay for it. But if it's a little more polished, you can't charge for something that doesn't have some polish. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be a little further down the road than, than just some kind of half-working piece of crap. <laughs> you know yeah, that's one way of putting it <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, absolutely so i mean i so i'm trying to get to the point where i'm fairly confident that i can charge for it and and uh, be and feel good that it's that's relatively robust and you know be an early product and there'll be bugs but it's not like it's going to be blowing up on everybody and they're going to have a bunch of irate customers because i know if you charge for something people expect a higher level of service and if they're experiencing too many bugs you're you're it's going to be you're going to wish you hadn't charged mm-hmm. so or you hadn't released it and i don't want to get in that position so um i have to go in like five minutes so let's uh, cover just a couple more quick quick things you might yeah shoot yeah go so the first thing I wanted to mention, which um, which is something we finished off yesterday uh, with, was uh, on the, the most recent episode of This Developer's Life. I guess we're bringing it up twice in one show, but it's a pretty pretty good podcast. And um, they it's of the same. They they basically mimic This American Life, and they have like three stories usually, and um, it's 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 well produced. It's 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 a good show. And one of the uh, segments they talked to, they interviewed John Resig of uh, jQuery. Yeah. And essentially, one thing they asked him is like, well, why did you create jQuery when Prototype and Moo Tools and all these other, you know, very capable, sophisticated uh, frameworks are out there, like Dojo? Why didn't you just jump in and work on Dojo? And he just says, like, well, because it wasn't what he wanted to do, and he had something other, in, uh, something else in mind that he wanted to build, and so he just did it. And, and the, the the title of the, um, the 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 podcast was Audacity. Like, he had the audacity to do it. You know, right. and uh, you, you know, I, there's a lot of pushback for people who want to sort of reinvent the wheel or create their own framework or create their own thing from scratch because 
you know, there, I, there's a lot of sort of social reasons, and there's also a lot of reasons why it makes sense to use existing um, existing software. But it's the people. If, if everybody, if, if nobody ever reused anything, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? Because there'd be very little progress being made. So you, you need most people to use, reuse existing software and improve it, um, it for things to work well. But you also need people who are going to go out and just say, screw it, and throw caution to the wind and say, I'm going to build this from scratch and realize that most people are going to look at them like they're an idiot and that they're, you know, selfish or stupid or arrogant or just naive um, and just take and, and understand that that's what people are going to think of them. And, but if they do succeed and they pull it off, they're going to be a hero. You know, Daniel Hunter Hansen was a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jan Resig is a hero. Um, you know, all the people who've created Jason things Roberts spread, is a hero. Well, you know, I'm not creating an uh, an open framework like that. So, you know, you create a company from scratch. I mean, it's not the same thing as creating <laughs> open source. You know, not like uh, Jason, you're a hero in a lot of people's minds, definitely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> all right. So, but seriously, any time that you um, that you create something that's really big and that you're doing a lot of yourself, you are taking the risk. Not only that you're going to fail. But that you're going to be looked at as an idiot for trying. Yeah. But um, you know, if if those guys, the people I listed, you know, if they if if they if they told people what they're going to do before they do it, and we went back in time, you'd look at those people like they were just arrogant, dumb kids, right? But they succeeded, and I just think it's interesting because I think you know I think most of the time you want to try and reuse solid libraries when you can use them, but I say it, it every once in a while. You shouldn't be afraid of inventing something yourself, especially if it's core to what you're doing. Don't be afraid. And I think you need to be able to every once in a while step to the plate and say, all right, this piece, this thing that I'm going to build, I'm building it from scratch. I don't give a damn what anyone says. I'm doing it. Because, you know, and even if you fail, fine, but at least you tried. But every once in a while, you will succeed. And that's what's really going to, um, and that could go a long way. And it's like they'll saying, no balls, no blue chips. Yeah. You can't be take the conservative, safe, socially acceptable, politically correct way to build software every time because then you're just going to be with everybody else. And you, every once in a while, you have to be a contrarian and you have to step away. And I don't mean this just to rationalize how I do things. I know it comes across a lot of time that I do everything from scratch and I don't ever use anyone else's software, but that's not really true. Um, but it's just I'm not afraid to build my own subsystem or own library if I'm not happy with what I find. Because if it's something I really care about, that I really want to make awesome, that I have a lot of passion about, that I that is core to the problem that I'm solving, I'm going to do it my way, and I don't care what anyone else thinks. Well, I, I would just add to that, and I said this before, I just think it's really important that people do build a lot of stuff from the ground up. Because the more that you know, the more that you, the more sides to coding, the, the whole picture... Look, if, if you're going to be a CTO, right... If you haven't built a framework, why should you be in a position to choose a framework, you know, like with, without actually having gotten your hands dirty, got under the car and like really taken apart the engine? Why should you have the right to make those major decisions for a company? And this, right. this all plays into the same thing, I think. Right, right. So, um, you know, as one other thing I wanted to bring up. Go for it. <laughs> I learned, I, we didn't talk about it last show, uh, the, 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 the show that never was. <laughs> but I meant to bring it up. It was called Setting Weekend Goals. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, well, the first thing is, goal number one, don't lose a podcast. <laughs> well, we've done... <laughs> we, new, well, you know what? That's, that's never going to happen again. I mean, literally, like, today, we've, we, we forgot to record... I forgot to press record because I was so essentially pissed off and animated about the fact that we lost the last podcast and we, we started talking and we got straight into the discussion of it. 
that it, I just actually forgot to press record. But it doesn't matter because it's yeah. it's recorded twice. No, I, I, I'm just, yeah, obviously, I'm just joking. But it's like, you know, setting weekend goals is like <laughs> rule number one is don't do a bunch of work and then lose it. Yeah. Because that'll kill the whole weekend for you. Yeah. All your productivity. Because the rest of the day, I just couldn't even work. I was yeah. just like, you know, it's just fun. It's like you're running up a hill and sliding back down after a while. I just like, I you know, I can't believe it. All the work I would have gotten done. Hey, anyway, not to not to stay on that topic, but. Um, one thing that we haven't mentioned is the intro. Because remember, remember, we just listened to the intro last time. And it's it's the Star Trek intro. <laughs> I love that tar- Star Trek intro you did. I, was like, I, I wonder if I, I should do some of it. Welcome. I, I played it for uh, like I, I mentioned in in the uh, original version of this. Uh, I played it for you know my fam- my brother's family was visiting, and I played it for them, and I played it for a bunch of people who came over, and everybody was really impressed. That is cool. I liked it. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe I should do a few more of those kind of uh, I don't know, just weird intros and just random stuff like that. Well, he, he, what was the question you asked last night? Yeah, I agree. I think you should. I think you should. Anytime the uh, you got the bug to create something new and fun, I think you should go for it. <laughs> but absolutely. Uh, no, the other thing I was going to say is what was the one thing you brought up, which I th- I, th- I thought was funny last time. We just said, well, who who's uh, who's captain or whatever. What was the question oh, you asked? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were so we were, basically we we just closed the show off, and I said, well, did you enjoy that voyage? And you said, and I, I said, did you enjoy that voyage, Captain? And then I said, well, hold on a second, hold on. Why am I calling you, Captain? That's that's wrong, <laughs> right? right? So and, I would the I said the I went the egalitarian route, and I said, okay, we're both captains, but I'm <laughs> Captain Kirk, and you're Captain Picard. That's right, <laughs> yeah. because I I got more hair. <laughs> <laughs> And then we and started, I, uh, and we also started discussing what type no, I got of more women hair we each said, would I'm, pull. I got more hair. Yeah, I got more hair, <laughs> and I'm good with the ladies. No, I'm and good, I'm good with the ladies, but just the ladies who are who are like very kind of studied. <laughs> <laughs> the nerdy, the nerd ladies. Yeah, like the ladies who read uh, Shakespeare and uh, literature. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm with. I'm. I'm good with the ladies that are like green, completely green. Remember that episode? Oh yeah, <laughs> and have those kind of weird ear ear antennas. Yeah, yeah. You know, they need love too. I think that's a show. I think I think we've we've just closed that show. Yeah, and as lo- as long as we uh, recorded, I think we're good to go. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>